Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm senior editor Devendra Hardwar. I'm deputy editor Sherlyn Lowe. Whoa, new title, <laughs> new title alert. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about that. What are you deputy editor of, Sherlyn Lowe? Uh, deputy editor of the site Comma Reviews. So Comma Reviews, just the review section, not the other parts. It, yeah, yeah, it's confusing. <laughs> it's confusing. But you can ask me more about it, unless you're my dad, who thinks this is a step down. So. Oh, wow. (laughs) That is, we will unpack that trauma at another time. (laughs) This week, we'll be diving into our preview of CES 2022 or whatever the hell that's actually going to be as an event. Uh, It's all kind of up in the air right now, but there is a lot of news that we're expecting. So we'll talk about some of the highlights of that. As always, if you're enjoying the Gadget Podcast, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes and you can drop us an email at podcast at Engadget.com. We typically do a live show Thursday is around 10 a.m. Eastern on the Engadget YouTube channel. For next week, uh, we may have one or two of those and the timing may change. So just keep an eye out to our social channels and we'll announce that. So we are back. We took a week off around Christmas and we're gearing up for CES. Also dealing with holiday uh, family lag and jet lag. Sherlyn, I know you just flew in from Singapore. Are you, how are you holding up? I am, I tweeted this out. I thought I was going to be totally over the jet lag by today, which is a grand total of about 48 hours since I landed. That's not enough. Yeah. Not enough. Not at all. So I'm still exhausted, but you know, just being at work can help get over it. So I'm trying, trying. <laughs> trucking i hope uh, i know you had some time off you had some family time so i hope you had some time to relax congrats on the new position i think everybody should send sherlyn some congratulations uh just because uh yeah sherlyn works way too hard as she is right now apparently we got a message from sherlyn low at 4 30 a.m eastern it's like can we please delay the podcast a little uh because sherlyn was still writing yes that's the jet lag talking but I appreciate it. <laughs> so it's approximately 11.45 a.m. on Thursday now. What hour mm-hmm. is it for you, Sherlyn? 12.45 p.m. Uh, it, it a.m. midnight, right? In Singapore. Uh, head. Yeah. Oh, so. boy. Oh, boy. 
Okay. Okay. Well, you know what? Let's talk about CS. That'll surely yeah, wake you up. Sure. And our CS plans changed a lot since you oh since the gosh. moment you left for Singapore, Sherlyn, yep. to the moment you came back to the US, our CS plans completely turned around. We initially at Engadget planned to send like half of our team to CS on location to actually check things out. A bunch of us were staying remote because um, we wanted to stay as safe as we could be for certain family members and whatnot. So I was going to be remote. Sherlyn was going to go in person. Last week, we pretty much decided that is not happening, like no in-person because of Omicron. Uh, just didn't make sense for traveling and doing meetings in person. Are you are you bummed, Roland, that you didn't get to you know go back to the wonders of Las Vegas? I will say this. Uh, to be very clear, we were given a choice, all of us, to whether or not we wanted to go. So the ones who were going, it was a volunteer-only situation. For me, unlike you, I, I have no one here I, to infect, right? So I'm okay if... <laughs> <laughs> like, like at the very worst, if I do get it and I don't want to get it, but if I if I did get yeah, it, yeah. it would be easy for me to keep to myself, right? But um, the reason I wanted to go was I thought, given the hellscape that was last CES, which was fully digital, I thought it would be slightly easier if I were there in person, where hopefully my workload would be less because I was on the ground and I would prioritize <laughs> on the ground stuff. So that's what I'm bummed about, which is that like I worry that my workload's gonna ramp right back up around CS, but we'll see. I think we should be able to manage it. Um, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, let me tell you, folks. Like CS, I, I think is a time we both get excited for, yeah. um, and also kind of dread because the normal routine of going to Las Vegas and preparing for those meetings, and everything, it's a it's a marathon session. It is it is uh, really rough. And last year. We did it all remotely. I certainly felt the crush of like yeah. having to write way too much to do's. Um, who knows if it's going to be better this year? Uh, I'm basically planning to write throughout this weekend. Um, but hey, we've got a lot of news that we're looking forward to. We've got more people on the team now at Engadget, so yeah. you know we're kind of we're kind of turning it around, and we have more bodies to help out. So here's the thing: CS22 is still happening oh, in person. Uh, we're talking like, in person. We, yeah. Yeah. Uh, companies left and right have been bouncing. Uh, Mercedes, um, I believe LG. I forget if LG. Talking about companies a whole bunch that of big pulled ones. out. Yeah, Google, Microsoft, a ton of big ones. Uh, some of the mainstays are still there. Sony. Last I talked to them, still plan to have a keynote in person. Samsung still plans to have something. Um, it really just comes down to the CTA, the organization that runs mm -hmm. CES. Uh, the man in charge of CES, Gary Shapiro, has basically been on a messaging spree saying CES has to go on, he says. And he's made a lot of arguments for that, basically arguments to support his trade organization and all the businesses that rely on it. So I am not a fan of this steadfast approach. Um, and you know what? Yeah. Yeah, I, I've never felt like Gary Shapiro has been super connected to the actual on the ground world of consumer technology. But hey, hey, um, he has written some editorials if you want to laugh for how uh, vehement he believes this should still be happening. I just think and allow me to rant for at most a minute it. here. But like even when I was going to go to CES, it was not like we're going to go attend every single thing that was happening. We were always going to prioritize appointment only um hands-on opportunities where only one outlet was going to be there there would be a limited number of people per session and like major press briefings where we imagine there would be throngs of people we were never going to go um, unless we could guarantee the safety of our team members which it, you can never guarantee the safety of people but anyway um, and and what really 
pissed me off the whole time that when I had made it clear at the time that I was like, hey, I'm going with a small team, were all the companies sending these party uh, cocktail hour invites going like, hey, would you like to come to our uh, hangout for like an hour where we're just going to you know invite a ton of media outlets to COVID come hang out? COVID and cocktails, everybody. I was like, are yeah. you kidding me? Like, you do know COVID's still going on. Like, you can't just... I feel like, look, I understand, again, it's hard for me because I became a hermit, a full hermit, and I was very happy to be by myself the whole time. But I get that there are people who long for social interaction and and in-person gatherings. And I'm just like, it it really, really annoyed me. I know, Dev, you saw something similar when you were up in New York (laughs) recently. and and I mean, yeah, I talked about this in the last episode, I think. But yeah, we were up for doing uh, some Dell previews. So one of the things I... Felt safe doing. This was before Omicron like really started to get out there. So I flipped to New mm-hmm. York for a couple of days, did some previews, got to talk to Dell people, got to see some tech hands on. So that's that's the thing we just can't really get with remote um, coverage. Um, but we were invited to a party with some Dell folks and or not a party, but a dinner. Yeah. It was like, OK, I, can, I could do a dinner if it's safe and whatnot. And I walk. It was freezing it was raining in new york it was just not a great experience and by the time i get to this uh steakhouse that they were at it was basically filled to the brim with bros and like wine glasses and cocktail glasses and it was so full i don't know if you've ever seen like a full new york sports bar Mm -hmm. but so full that people were basically like pushed up against the front door like the entrance door so not big fire hazard basically Mm -hmm. too but i do one look i walk in and I turned right back around like Grandpa Simpson because I I did not want to play that. And it turns out that was probably a wise decision because it seemed like uh, COVID and maybe Omicron at that point was kind of like going through the city, um, at least in early stages. So anyway, it was a bad uh, that, that was like my big spider Spence uh, telling me, do not go into that room yeah. because it looks like a hellscape. And yeah, yeah, maybe maybe I dodged a bullet there. But whatever. Uh we are still going to be covering CES and we're still like I'm excited to see like what new things are actually going to be coming here. Um I think in terms of like overall news, it still feels like we're getting most of the product updates that we're expecting. We can't talk about things like specifically just yet. Um Maybe for certain industries like auto and whatnot, like I'm hearing less stuff. Uh, I did just write up a feature about the global chip shortage, and I was reaching out for analyst comments and, you know, just talking with companies about that. And a lot of people are saying, like, you know, when this started in early 2021, basically people are hoping that by the end of the year, it would be better or by 2022, it would be better. And now I'm hearing um, from analysts that basically 2023 seems like the earliest Things can really ramp back up, and that's due to the the demand from consumers and also the issues with the supply chains, uh, both because they cannot make enough stuff to keep up with demands. They had to slow down supply chains originally because they reduced staff because they thought people would want less stuff during COVID. Turns out the opposite was true. Uh, a lot of companies are opening up new fabrication plants, but that'll take years to, like, actually build them and actually get started. So Intel announced that earlier this year. That thing won't be, you know, those plants won't be up in production until like 2024. So we are in just kind of a weird, weird spot where it seems like a lot of the tech industry is moving along, pretending that, you know, hey, innovation is still happening. We're still building new stuff. But if you try to actually buy it, that's when, you know, your actual uh, issues are going to appear. We're going to hear a lot about new products at CES this year, but also expect that, 
the releases will take a while. Stock mm. will be low. It's basically going to be like the PlayStation 5 situation or the GPU Boy. trying to get like a video card situation. It's going to be like that for a while. I don't, have you noticed anything on your intro in like in terms of stock or things that you've been looking forward to that I haven't, mean, haven't really arrived? Yeah, it was the I didn't buy a lot of tech this holiday season and and I bought a bunch of tech in Singapore uh, when I was there recently and I, the only real delay I noticed was when my Black Friday shopping took forever to arrive. That was causing me a little bit of stress, but none of that stuff had chips in them. So I just wasn't very sure why. But, you know, global supply slowdowns around everything, holiday like shipping shopping stuff. Time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty normal. Um, and it was exacerbated this year, I think, for a number of reasons, COVID, chip supply, whatever. Um, and then when I was in Singapore looking at um, buying stuff for my parents and whatnot, it, it all seemed fine. But I think that's because I was like in Singapore. Close to the source. You're like right, right. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I don't I don't want to say they're hoarding chips, but I want to say that there are plenty <laughs> of you know, stock available. Plenty of, plenty of chips. Like Intel, Intel CEO was actually just in Malaysia earlier in oh, December, yeah. like announcing a new plant too. Yeah, and he was like, yeah. he also said like, guys, 2023, like, let's yeah. just, you know, let's be realistic here. Um, but yeah, you know, Malaysia to Singapore, not that hard to get some products over, you know? No, not at all. I also know people working at some very big tech companies in Singapore, my childhood friends and that sort of stuff. But um, related, uh, quick aside, when I was in Singapore hearing about CES falling apart and being told <laughs> while I'm uh -huh. in Singapore that I would no longer have to fly to Vegas after I got back, I, there was a sense of relief because I didn't want to fly around so much during that time, especially given the surge of Omicron. But I also was hearing about the shortage of self-testing kits so i started hoarding like a true singaporean and all these <laughs> <laughs> art rapid testing kits i brought home about 20 of them oh wow okay. uh, yeah <laughs> i'm gonna be testing myself a bunch when i am here well after i got home i had to test because i just wanted to be safe and then before i go out anymore in new york and after i go out for the next few days or weeks, I'm going to do that so that I don't, you know, it's a responsible thing. But anyway, this is what I want to say to our listeners to be safe when you can. If you're gathering with people, test if you can. Um, a lot of people cancel their Christmas plans. Uh, we managed to make it work with my family because I demanded uh, my parents test yes, and my brother yes. test. And my brother, you know, works in IT at Georgia Tech. So. You know, he is on the ground sometimes, and sometimes he has to go to public spaces. So everybody was negative. We were able to have like a nice Christmas. But for the like, that's the thing. This year is going to be all about testing well, testing often. And I hope we get better solutions to that. Uh, the Biden administration announced that they'll make, you know, tests available to people who request them, but we don't know what the timeline for that is. I've also been hearing this thing about like people who work at Google um, live in this alternate universe where they could just call uh, call up Google and be like, hey, guys, we need tests. And they will send you 20 instant tests you know, immediately. Yeah, Google is taking care of its people. So, like, I've, I've seen Googlers be like, uh, you guys have to pay for tests? It costs $20 for a <laughs> box of tests? It, it is a weird reality we're living in right now. Just take care of yourselves, everybody. That's really all we can hope for. Okay, so CES is still happening. We're still going to be covering as much as we can. And what are some of the big things we're expecting? And I think one of the trends I'm noticing a lot of companies talk about is quantum.oled or QOLED. 
It oh, is uh, it's different from QLED, right? QD, like- QD. It is different from QLED. So quantum dots is, you know, that's a technology we've been hearing about for a year, yep. basically over the past decade. As like it was, um, they, it was a technology that was put into LCD or LED screens to basically ramp up the color. You know, they they helped LCDs just be a little more dynamic than they were before, and that was all part of the war from <laughs> people like uh, companies like Samsung and LG. Um, you know, who uh, they want to offer something better on the LCD front. LG owned all of OLED production, so for. You know, for a decade, we've been saying OLED screens are the best. OLED TVs are the best. Only LG makes those. So when Sony sells an OLED TV, they buy the display from LG. When Vizio does it, same deal. So quantum dots in LCDs kind of gave us a bit of a uh, a bit of an upgrade there. So now what we're hearing is that um, quantum dots are coming to OLEDs. And the term is QD OLED, I believe. And you're going to be hearing about this quite a bit because um, what we've noticed over the last few years is that OLED has kind of like plateaued in terms of like greatness. You know, LG screens, um, LG's TVs, basically since the CX, so that was like two years ago, they've been pretty much perfect. You know, they've supported 120 hertz 4K. They have excellent color reproduction. They have great wide angle viewing. Like they work great with the new consoles. So you can get like the higher, you know, frame rates if you want and the higher refresh rates. It is really hard to think of like, hey, where, where else can OLED go? Apparently the thing OLED is doing is merging together with quantum dots. And this is where things get a little technical. Um, I've heard from some companies that th- there is kind of like an under told or a hidden downside with OLED, um, as you reach higher brightness levels with these screens, uh, the color saturation or the color reproduction kind of falls off a little. So as you get brighter and brighter, you can maybe make bright whites happen, but a bright red or a bright blue or something. Um, I've seen graphs of these like color scalings and it basically looks like a pyramid. Like as you're going brighter, straight up color kind of falls off on the sides. By introducing quantum dots, OLED makers are basically hoping to keep that color reproduction high as brightness gets higher. Maybe it could mean we'll also see higher brightness from OLED screens. Uh, That's always been kind of a downside. Uh, If you go to Best Buy and you look side by side at, you know, an LCD TV or QLED TV versus OLED the LCD is always going to look better because it can crank up to thousands of nits of brightness. OLED is always a little more limited. So Mm. quantum dots in here could help with that. Um, Basically, quantum dots will replace the color filter in OLED screens, and the color filter is what's kind of prevented a lot of brightness from getting out. Mm. Um, LCDs rely on a super bright backlight that kind of shoots all the light out and helps those colors pop. OLEDs instead have individual pixels that turn on and off and the pixels themselves light themselves up, but they can't run too bright or they can't run too hot because then you'll get burn it. So there's all of these like issues that they're juggling. So at the end of the day, what we're seeing is OLED TVs that look great in dark rooms, but if you put them side by side with an LCD in a bright room, you know, the LCD will just kind of look better there. Uh, so maybe quantum dots will fix that a little too. Uh, does this make any sense to you, Sherlyn or Ben? Uh, no, I I I've followed Quantum Dot for a while. Um, just back in the day when I worked with Alex Kranz back at our um, former publications, and she was the one who was all really excited about Quantum Dot. Um, so no, I am I am <laughs> yeah. excited to see these uh, sets. Sadly, not a lot of us are going to see them in person for a while. I don't think, but 
it sounds like the CES will finally learn. Q let the dogs out. QD. So this is QD. Q let the dogs Q-led, out. Q let the dogs out. Okay. So normie recap for someone who isn't yes. a tech journalist. Hello, Ben Elman, podcast producer. So this is QLED, not QLED. QD OLED. QD OLED. Quantum dot yes. OLED allows OLED screens to be brighter without burn-in. Am I correct so far? Potentially. Potentially. Because I've also <laughs> talked to some companies who are like, oh, we think the brightness claims are overblown. It's really about it's really about color. So first of all, color at brighter levels. I think that's the main thing. Okay. So it yeah. takes what OLED is known for, which is very vibrant colors and like deep blacks, vibrant, yep. great contrast, yeah, yeah great yeah. contrast, everything, and it. So it takes that advantage and makes it more pronounced. However, it may not be as bright. It may not still be able to stack up to a top of the line LED in terms of brightness. Just in terms of brightness, like there are all these factors we're talking about here. Like if you, hey. Sure, LCD TVs can be up to two thousand nits. Uh, I don't want to look at that. Do you know what the? Do you know how bright Ouch. that is? That Ouch. is looking at the sun. You know, I have. Um, I think I have like light issues, or at least like light. Um, I don't know what you call like it. But eye I have sensitivity issues. for light. Yeah, I have eye sensitivity for light. So when I'm outside, like I'm always wearing shades uh, on sunny days and whatnot. Like it just really hurts my eyes. So specifically, super bright displays. I see laptop makers talk about this all the time too. Like I don't, I don't want to sit in front of a one thousand nit screen that's like you know a couple feet from my face. That is not great. So. The LCD stuff, it is sort of like, um, if you remember when like speakers, like the old speaker things, like in terms of wattage, um, I feel like companies love a big number. They love a big number to show off. Like we can be this big, but that is not the best thing in terms of overall picture quality. Basically, this stuff will lead to better OLEDs. I think that's what people will care and about. And really, like once you get up to, what is it, 2000 nits, then yeah. you might be like, if you're trying to watch TV in the backyard, in mm-hmm. your like little like direct sunlight, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you have a TV in your like little barbecue pavilion because you have mm. that much backyard, then it will be able to stand up to the actual sunlight during the mm-hmm. afternoon. But other than that, seems like it's not really necessary. Totally not. Totally not. So, like, I think for a lot of families, uh, usually have multiple TVs. Uh, right now, we have a TCL 8 series TV, which is a mini LED TV. Uh, Neller technology will probably be seeing more of this year. Um, but it's very, very bright. It's not OLED. And that's great because in that room, we just have windows all along the back walls. If I had an OLED there, the windows would just kind of like the light would wash out the TV almost completely. So instead, like we have our old OLED in the basement along with like projector stuff. But dark rooms is really where OLED shines best. I'm also hearing that, uh, you know, QD OLED may make OLED screens cheaper to manufacture it may allow them to run more efficiently too, which could you know prolong the lifespan, um, maybe reduce burn-in. All these things kind of like go kind of go together to make a better experience. Uh, traditional OLED, which some companies are calling RGB OLED now, um, is still going to stick around. They'll likely be you know a little cheaper. You can expect to see new TVs from you know LG and whatnot. Uh, but just be ready for QD OLED. It is the next big thing if you're. Thinking of buying a new TV or even a new monitor, there are likely some computer monitors coming out with this technology. I think that's going to be really, really fascinating to watch. Um, you know, a QD, I'm thinking of like what my perfect computer monitor would be. 
And it would basically be in like an ultra wide screen, like I'm looking at now, a 34 inch ultra wide with QD OLED for perfect color reproduction and contrast, good HDR reproduction, which is something uh, PC monitors haven't really had. Uh, they've often been limited to like HDR 400 or 600 nits, which is really low for HDR. It's not great. Um, so QD OLED could just mean a lot of good things for, for everybody. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's it. I just want to put that out there because I think it's really cool. So that would be great for like games and movies, you know, just the normal mm -hmm. user, um, functions, but also could be really excellent for like professional photographers and, you know, other creatives mm -hmm. who actually need to see like really accurate, rich colors. For sure. I think it's going to be a big thing. Like a lot of OLED TVs and OLED monitors already say they cover like 100% of the DCI-P3 color gamut. And that is like the thing artists look for. Uh, now they'll be able to hit that gamut at higher brightnesses. So yeah, good thing for everybody. Keep an eye out for it. Um, expect to see some marketing confusion around this stuff because uh, I know Samsung may be toying with QD OLED. Samsung also spent the last 10 years pretending like OLED is this garbage technology, you know, that will burn in at an instant. You know, the, the better option is Samsung's QLED TVs. Um, so Samsung's OLED, quantum dot OLEDs may end up being called like quantum dot displays or something. <laughs> Don't expect any of this stuff to be clear, folks. Uh, we'll try to break it down as best we can. And it's going to be more and more confusing. I think the biggest downside of not going to CS this year is not being able to like see this stuff in person because we could talk about computers. We could talk about, you know, cool little gadgets. And oftentimes we can even like preview computers and stuff in advance. But a TV, TVs are big. You need to go up and see them. So I'm going to miss that. And hopefully we'll have a chance to check these things out in person in 2022. And of course, it wouldn't be CES without, you know, the, the usual stuff. We're probably going to be seeing new chips from Intel and AMD, probably new stuff from NVIDIA. It, it is like clockwork because it is the best time for these companies to announce uh, new chips so they can announce new PCs that go along with it and kick off the year with uh, entirely new models and whatnot. And then that really ramps us up to Computex in the middle of the year. Um, this is just a cycle we've lived through so, so many times. Is there anything you're really looking forward to from any of the new hardware, Shalin? Because, uh, you know, Intel's hybrid chips uh, are going to be making it to laptops most likely, and they're likely going to be super powerful. So it's a lot of cool stuff happening there. I mm -hmm. mean, like you said, it's always this cycle of Intel, AMD, and NVIDIA announcing their chips, and then like almost on the dot when their embargoes lift, you've got all the PC makers also announcing their new laptops uh, with the new chips. And it's to me, it's I'd love to learn more about the chips, but I'm also more interested in seeing what these PC makers are bringing to the table in addition to the chip upgrades, right? Because that's just eh, almost incremental every year if they're just throwing in new chips. But, um, you know, I want to see what else they can bring. Um, we've got like, I, I mean, we're honestly at a point where I don't really feel as if I know what to expect that could be new with PCs other than maybe like more people trying foldable tablet-y things or more... more foldable tablets. I mean, Intel just showed off their their Alder Lake CPUs, right? And we talked about that in October. And those are the cool things like hybrid chips that have performance cores and efficient cores. So bring some of those babies new, over to laptops. Things, you yeah. Know? Yeah. Let's see. Let's see what that could do. Uh, we also have heard on and off from Intel that they really want to get their their own de uh, discrete GPUs up and running in laptops this year. So we're really going to get to see how Intel is going to compete with AMD and yeah. NVIDIA. 
it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting i think um also a rare thing alder lake supports ddr5 most likely whatever uh amd's new thing uh is also going to support ddr5 next generation of ram uh should be more efficient should allow for higher throughput uh we don't get ram changes that often yeah i feel like we've been living with ddr4 Four. for yeah. over a decade at this point i can't remember the last time i touched ddr3 yeah um probably since before 2010 so i I think that's kind of momentous it is one of those things that pc builders will really appreciate like just a new toy to play with um it should unlock more memory bandwidth uh with these new cpus and generally that's what we've seen a lot of these companies focus on um you know amd and intel have pushed memory bandwidth because it's like it makes things noticeably faster if there's less of a gateway between what the CPU wants and what the memory needs and, you know, what a SSD can push to it. So that's all going to be really good. I think the other thing worth noting here is because of the global chip supply shortage, DDR5 supply is probably going to be pretty low. So it's not going to be in everything. It should be, you know, maybe we'll see it in a bunch of like premier computers in early 2022. But it's not going to be super widespread likely until the end of the year. So that's the main thing. Um, anything on the mobile front from you, Sherlyn? Like, I know you you were the mobile goddess yeah. now. So tell us what's up. <laughs> um, that should have been my new title. But no, I will mm-hmm. say that on the mobile front, you can, you know, we typically see maybe like a handful of, of phones just because CES is right before Mobile World Congress traditionally hasn't been a big... Oh, is that going to happen? Oh, oh man. who knows? Mobile World Congress, exactly. yeah. But it's not going to be... Uh, it's Traditionally, CES is not a smartphone-heavy show, but we do see other types of mobile devices. We see some tablets from time to time. We've seen a lot, a lot, and I can't stress this enough, a lot of wearables. We see a lot of wearables, and it... It's mainly... It's been a wearable show since, yeah, like 2012 you know yeah it's also been an iot smart home show it's um it's but but i think more wearables because it's a combination of the fitness tracking wearables it's also the medicinal medical purpose wearable where like there's a whole section on health and uh, health and fitness um most of those tend to be like things you can wear on your body for all day tracking so i expect to see more of those i expect to see you know we we also know that wear os 3 was just launched fairly recently last year or this year actually 2021 wow i've already zoomed ahead but (laughs) but we're we're you know expecting to see more devices running that os possibly fossil usually has a big um slew of devices to show off i don't think people realize how big fossil is like Mm -hmm. fossil is just huge a huge brand that covers multiple different companies like was it Misfit? Oh yeah, and a bunch of Scoggins, others. Like yeah, so many brands. Kate yeah. Spade. There was one year they announced Kate Spade a uh, smartwatch, and I was like, hell's yeah. Um, Michael Kors was one of the first brands to have a smartwatch. So I expect Fossil to unveil something now. Fitbit. One of the big brands in the wearable space typically isn't at CES with a new product. They have new like software things or competitions in their app, but nothing truly major. I. Got- I appreciate that from Fitbit. Fitbit is like, we're big enough that we can play our own game. Yeah, you we'll come to our, our own, events. Yeah. But yeah. also don't forget that, you know, now they, they are fully merged with Google, right? Mm-hmm. So they could probably be a part of an IO or a future, you mm-hmm. know, hardware event from Google. So no, I don't expect to see a lot of that, but I do expect other types of mobile devices. When I say wearables, I mean things like, are we going to see more smart masks? Probably. Mm-hmm. We're, probably. you know, we're going to see a lot. Oh, of- I want a smart mask. I, I want like... 
Make me Bane from, you know, Batman, I know. please. Yeah. Man, when LG did that at the last CES, I think, or, or two CESs ago. No, wait, the last CES, we did an air purifier smart mask. That was pretty awesome. Yep. Um, so it's pretty, I mean, and also given, I was thinking like uh, in the fall, right? It seemed like maybe we were getting better dealing with COVID. Maybe like, maybe the need for smart masks wouldn't be there. And like Omicron is just making me think like, yeah, get me. I want a shield yeah. on my face to yeah. protect me from this hellscape of a world. Um, so yeah, maybe I should just get the, the razor one at this point. Uh, there's so many cool ones. Uh, I don't know. Tell us, folks, are you into smart masks or are you just down with, you know, what you're buying off the shelf now? There's so many options out there. CS is also usually a pretty big car show. And weirdly enough, we haven't been hearing much from the car companies or any like rumors or anything coming from them, uh, probably because the car industry was the one that was really first hit by the global chip shortage. Um, part of the story goes is that uh, car manufacturers put in like, fewer orders for materials and supplies and stuff because they're like, who's going to buy a car during the pandemic? Turns out everybody yeah. wanted to buy a car because, yeah, there there was less public transportation. Exactly. You couldn't fly as safely. Like people wanted to drive around and you know be safe in their own little bubble with their families. I really don't know how car companies made that bet. Like I wonder like what consultants they were talking to, to that really made that clear because that is a bet that has basically hurt the entire industry for years. If you go out to try to buy a used car or a new car anytime soon, uh, you'll you'll probably notice that. Things are things are real bad. Prices are higher. Used cars are going for higher prices than they sold for new, like last year. That is the weirdness I'm seeing. Uh, I am currently looking for you know a larger car for my family, and yeah, I went to a dealer. First time I've been to a dealer uh, in several years, and I was just like prepared for the worst because. You know what they say about car dealers, guys, like uh, hard to trust them. They're always trying to play you. And the minute I stepped in the door, they were just playing me. And it's just kind of I just kind of sat back mm. in like I wasn't angry. Mm -hmm. I was more like I was more amused by the whole thing. I was like, OK, I reviewed this car. So please tell me how you have, uh, you know, up the cost by seven thousand uh, dollars. This car dealer quoted me in prices over the phone and email. And yeah, when I get there, like, oh yeah, actually, all this stuff is on it too. I'm like, no, you didn't. You didn't say that. I asked you directly, and they were like, uh, we have a disclaimer that says uh, prices can change at any moment. We're being transparent, and I was like, that's not what transparent is. Sorry. And then I just sat there and I like knocked down every line item on their uh, their like extra expenses thing. So it was like four hundred dollars for a dash cam which is the world's fanciest dash cam. Like a typical dash cam system will cost you under 200. I'm like, that's, that's silly. Uh, $70 for phone cables, for USB cables. Um, yeah, I was like, guys, that's $10 of cables. What are you doing here? Um, so I basically, um, I, yeah, I, I did my thing. I just tried to like uh, talk with them about how silly all this is. And I walked right out. And by the way, folks, uh, that that is probably what you should do. Say no to everything at a car dealer. Walk out if you if you don't feel respected there. So I don't know what I'm going to be doing. Um, I'm probably going to go back to Carvana because that was my experience with Carvana last year was so great. Where I was laying in bed, I would spend a whole week like researching cars. I was laying in bed one morning and like one popped up that I really wanted. I hit a button, you know, five minutes, boom, cars on the way to me in a week. You know, no haggling, like no. 
no, like very clear pricing uh, and the car gets there and you can drive it for seven days. And if you don't like something about it, you could just return mm-hmm. it, which is much better than like a 15 minute test drive. You'll get it at a dealer mm-hmm. too. So that whole experience was great. I will likely go back to that yeah. this year. Um, Carvana prices are also like slightly higher than normal because that's just how it is for everybody. But at least they're actually like be- what you see on the website is what you get. Like, I do, I do have a feeling like consumer trade organizations and everything, uh, the FTC should really be doing something about car dealers because they are, they're an organization that it's an industry that can really lean on people when they're really, really desperate. Like people are now, like they could just like, yeah, I've heard about people spending $20,000 more than they meant to on a car because that was the only way to get the car they wanted. Something like the Kia Telluride. That thing retails typically around 50000 People have spent uh, $70,000 for that car. That's just topsy-turvy. The car dealers are doing really well here. So I don't know. Listeners, if you are a car dealer and you feel bad about what I said about your industry or you just like have insight in this, please let us know. Podcastandgadget.com. I do feel like this is an industry that is actually ripe for innovation, right? Make it easier for people to buy cars online. Carvana is like doing really, really well. And I love that customer service so much. Like I I spent five minutes on a phone with somebody and it wasn't even haggling. It was more like just making sure my ID and everything was proper. Um, and they brought a car to me and that was it. And we drove it happily for a year and a half. And that's, that's kind of all I want. So yeah, this whole industry is a mess. Uh, maybe we'll see some news out of it at CES. Uh, there, there are car shows uh, coming typically right after CES as well. Uh, this year, or 2022, the big thing is going to be electric cars. Because we already know Toyota, Subaru, many companies have electric models coming. I'll be interested to see you know, what they'll be dropping. I just wish somebody had announced, like pre-announced an electric minivan, because I'd be right there. I, like, I need one probably soon. And yeah, I'm not, those aren't happening for a long, long while. So that's a shame. Uh, Sherlyn, you don't drive. You're not super interested in the car industry, but you know, yet, what are, are you having feelings about this? I mean, I, I mean, I will one day eventually drive. I think Mm -hmm. surprisingly when I, again, was back in Singapore, all of my family drives and there were some EVs in my family. Even though, even though there's like crazy, crazy high it's prices crazy for cars expensive, in Singapore, right? like yeah. a Toyota Corolla is basically double the price of what you'd pay here. You also have to pay up front for the certificate of entitlement, the COE, before Ugh. you can own a car, which is often the price of the car itself. And that's basically why it they cost so much is because we don't have a lot of land in Singapore and they want to make sure to keep the number of cars down. Anyhow. But you guys have good public transportation. That is very... That's part, that's of, very, yeah. that's part of it too. But yeah. Singaporeans like convenience and parking is not as painful in Singapore as it is in New York. Um, it's still a pain. But anyway, um, I, I, I do like seeing how, you know, cars have evolved over the years to become... I mean, I think the, the rise in EVs is a good thing for the environment. So I'd love to see more of that in general. Yep. There's a lot of things you need in the car industry right now. Maybe we'll get some folks on to talk about that in future episodes. I have seen some stories about like Tesla's people who have had Tesla's for, you know, uh, since like some of the early Model mm-hmm. S's debuted. Tesla's hitting like 500,000 miles wow. and still like running strong, even with like a 
a couple of basic equipment upgrades, yeah. but you couldn't do that on a gas car. So there's some exciting okay. stuff to look forward to. Maybe we can bring on uh, Alex Kranz at some point because I know she just went through this whole she process. We were car. talking about that over Twitter. I've been in her car. Yeah. It's it's got a wonderful <laughs> seat warmer. That's great for my well being. <laughs> it's so relaxing. You want a seat warmer? You want like down here in the south? You want like a seat like chiller, yeah. like a breeze going through the seat? It's the Keep best thing in the world cool. in the summer. Yeah. Keep your butt cool. Uh, let us know, folks. Like, let us know what your transportation woes and needs are because it is a bigger deal. I've been doing some car testing. I talked about, I just tested the Kia Sorento plug-in hybrid. There are a lot of cool, like, plug-in hybrids. I'm I'm basically on the plug-in train right now trying to, like, look at, you know, that's more accessible to people than EVs. Um, so, yeah, maybe, maybe I should just look at the Chrysler Pacifica minivan, which is also a plug-in hybrid. Anyway, there's a lot of stuff to cover here. Hopefully we'll hear a little more at CES, but you know what? Let's move on to something more fun. Let's move on to our pop culture picks. Sherlyn, what's up? I, I don't have picks so much as I have to tell you about what I finally saw thanks to in-flight entertainment. And I don't know if you'll support this. I saw the latest Venom movie, Venom Let There Be Carnage. And <laughs> okay. it was fine. I've been meaning to watch it. I know it's been out for a while, but I hadn't watched it yet. It was, God, I don't know. I, I liked the first one because the origin story was interesting. But the second one, I, again, like Woody Harrelson as a villain always, but because he's just so crazy. He's fun to watch. Um... I didn't really enjoy the relationship between the Eddie Brock character and and Venom itself, just because. Which is what really makes it, those. It's movies, what makes the I movie think, yeah. exactly, and like parts of it I loved, but I didn't feel. Maybe it's been too long since I saw the original Venom movie, and so I didn't feel like I I it carried over like that sense of brotherhood between the two of them carried over. <laughs> they just were fighting very hard the whole time, and I, was I don't like, know if it's brotherhood. They're like bickering roommates. Yeah, that's what they are. Yeah, for yeah. in the second Venom movie, that's what it felt like. They were just like at each other's throats for the most part, and then all of a sudden they were fine, and I was just like, well. I don't know if I like them. I want to like it. And and the twist at the end in the post credit scene. You don't have to like it. It's okay. I No, yeah. I like the post credits twist. I just was like, ooh. Like, that was a one Marvel uh, fan moment for me where I was like, ooh. Have you seen, uh, seen Spider-Man yet? Because no, I, I need like to see No Way Home. Movie. Yeah, I really want to yes. see No Way Home. I'm waiting for it to come out on Disney Plus because mm-hmm. I'm not going to theaters, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, it's gonna be it's probably gonna be well because that movie yeah. is also like the first major pandemic super success like it's reached a billion dollars yeah, globally yeah. Uh, likely will be traced as like a huge super spider event too yeah. like I yeah probably the last time uh, the first time I've seen like full movie theater parking lots since uh since covid started i guess we can't all do drive-in movies even though those can be a little safer the, the, the we can't all do it also yeah. they they look bad. Yeah, the effect like, is awful. I, I like a drive-in for like old movies yeah. and like you just want to like chill out for a while, but they're hard to see from that far away sometimes. Yeah, I get you. But anyway, that's what I saw. I mean, among a lot of things, in-flight entertainment is a, is a little inside joke for us <laughs> where I didn't play any games on the in-flight entertainment this time, Devendra. You'll be happy to <laughs> okay. hear, but I did get really intrigued by this game. This little girl in front, in two rows ahead of me, was playing on her mm-hmm. in-flight entertainment system, which is a cooking game on the touchscreen panel on singapore airlines yeah you're like yeah i, was like, I need to like, learn how to make that basket of fries now. yes i need to i need to do that right now but i did not and i, I hope you're proud of me 
Good job. Good job. Uh, I do. One of my old pastimes of traveling on airplanes was just like looking around and seeing what people were watching. That's so, why you did what you know you spotted what I was doing. I see. I, I was. I was also like, well, you were like two rows ahead of me that time. And I was like, what the hell is she doing? Like she is, is just baffling to me. Um, I miss people watching, oh, yeah. you know, folks. Uh, there was one time I was seated. I was just on a plane ride back from like West Coast. Um, and I was seated like across the aisle from somebody who just like sat down and stared straight into Ooh, space. I've done that before. Like didn't read anything, yeah. didn't read anything, didn't turn anything on the TV, just stared straight into space barely blinked yeah. and i had to like keep an eye on this person I was like are you a robot are you <laughs> they're in power save mode yeah they're they just kind of shut down for a while which Derek. hey that's always fun yep. during a flight like uh um, honestly that's how i'm trying to yep. be like to not have so many thoughts that you need to distract yourself and <laughs> Big just head go empty into, moments. Yeah, yeah yeah just like head empty moments how i'm trying to be in 2022 sure that's zen whatever you want to call it um one thing that is not a big head empty moment is Station Eleven, the new HBO series uh, based on the book. Um, it's uh, this show has been developed by Patrick Somerville, who has worked on like some of my favorite shows. Uh, he was a writer on The Leftovers. He did that Maniac show with Emma Stone on Netflix, but nobody saw. But it was really good. He also created Made for Love, which we talked about on HBO. So like this is a guy who's like making some really cool, interesting television. I will say, you know, warning up front. This is a show uh, based on a book about a global pandemic, and it is a much worse global pandemic. Like, basically, the kill percentage is like 99%. Most people on the planet are wiped out, and the series kind of dives into that. But it also hops timeline, so it's a little bit like Lost, uh, where... It starts as the pandemic is kicking off. Um, this this show is so bold, it kills Gael Garcia Bernal within the first, like, two minutes. And that is just, like, one of my favorite actors, but also bold move show. Um, but then it jumps forward, like, 20 years, and then it hops back and forth, kind of showing you how, how similar spaces kind of deteriorated over time, how people have survived. Um, I love the cast. Uh, it includes Mackenzie Davis, as uh, the older version of a young girl we meet at the in the first episode, Hemish Patel, uh, Gal Garcia Bernal, like I've been talking about, um, just tremendous people. Um, it is weirdly hopeful. Like even though it's a show about pretty much the end of humanity, it is mostly a show about how we like pull the pieces together to rebuild civilization and how pop culture. This is why we have this pop culture section. It's about how pop culture is kind of helping to keep us alive because. If we didn't have this, if we didn't have culture like uniting humanity, gathering people in spaces, um, helping us like tell stories to each other, would we have a civilization? I don't know. That's a question for a deeper, deeper, longer show uh, on our part. But I think Station Eleven is fantastic. It's a it's as depressing as a post-apocalyptic show can be. At times it feels like straight up the last of us, but it's also like hopeful, well acted, um, really cool. Like, and it's also like, there's a little bit of like maybe supernatural suspense to it too. I wouldn't call it supernatural, but a little bit of like, why is this happening? Are people connected? Um, It is very much leftovers in that respect too. It's also like part of HBO's just like, non-stop like cycle you know succession is done they're like okay here's another banger right. for you all you're gonna keep watching us every week and talking about our shows every week and yeah they they have succeeded so check out station 11 i think you'll all like it um i would say give it 
The first episode is great, but give it like two episodes so you can kind of see how they're working it. And episode three is also like fantastic. It is also like one of those like perfectly written episodes of television that also really makes you think about like, how did this civilization survive? Uh, it lays some groundwork there. A comic is a big part of it. Um, I'm digging it a lot. So check it out. Station 11 on HBO. Well, that's it for our episode this week, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elwin. You can find Devendra online at... At Devendra on Twitter and talking about movies and TV at the Filmcast at thefilmcast.com. We're going to be having our top 10, you know, movies of the year episode coming up soon. So I'm preparing for that. It's always a big deal. So be sure to check that out. If you have any recommendations for the best in-flight games to play on those consoles, I'm at Sherlyn Lowe on Twitter. Email us your thoughts at podcast.engadget.com. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes. And subscribe on anything that gets podcasts, including Spotify. And stay tuned to the Engadget YouTube channel as well as Engadget.com over the next week because we have all the CES news and content for you. <laughs>